Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's episode, I'm going to explore the life of Betty Hutton. She was a star of the screen and stage in the 1940s and 1950s. And she also had some musical tracks that are out there still today. And you can find them on Amazon. But many people probably don't know that she was born in Michigan. In fact, she was born in Battle Creek, Michigan. So I'm going to explore some of her story today. So come along and join me. So Betty Hutton was born Elizabeth June Thornburg on February 26, 1921 in Battle Creek, Michigan. And her parents were... Percy and Mabel Thornburg. She also had an older sister, Marion, who would also become a singer. When she was a young girl, her father, Percy, abandoned the family. I guess he decided he no longer wanted to be a father or the family life was not something he wanted anything more with, so he abandoned his wife and two daughters. And Mabel Thornburg was on her own raising her two children. So Mabel moved her two daughters with her over to the Detroit area, and she took on a variety of odd jobs to support her family. And during a stint operating a bootleg liquor joint in Detroit, both Marion and Betty took to the stage. At just three or four years of age, Betty and Marion performed for customers in that bootleg establishment So this would have been in the late 1920s. When Betty was 13 years old, she was employed as a singer at a summer resort in Michigan and later worked with a local band of high school students. By the time she was 15 years old, she had saved $200 and left for New York City. Now, her mom was struggling and it was a hard poverty lifestyle. So she was essentially on her own at a young age and so was her sister. And Betty, in later years, would talk about that in interviews, which I'm going to share some of that with you on this podcast episode today. You can actually hear from Betty Hutton in one interview that she gave that talked about her early life and how she really came from some challenging times as a young girl growing up. Now, when she reached New York City, her attempts to break into the Broadway stage performance world was unsuccessful and she was later told that she would never make it in show business so she returned to detroit michigan and she and her sister found work at a detroit nightclub where they were discovered by a band leader named vincent lopez who hired betty to be a vocalist with his band for 65 dollars a week Initially, Betty was performing in Lopez's band under the name of Betty Darling, but she soon changed her name to Hutton, which was the surname that her sister was using, who was now performing with the band leader, Glenn Miller. So while touring with Lopez's band in New York City and other venues in 1938, Betty Hutton recorded vocals for RCA Victor's Bluebird Records. And she made her screen debut in the Warner Brothers Vitaphone short subject film, Queens of the Air. She made some more Vitaphone films during that time period. And then she made a Paramount Pictures debut in the short film, Three Kings and a Queen in 1939. 
So she continued to tour with Lopez and sing on his NBC radio program until about 1940, when she left the band for a part in a Broadway production, which was called Two for the Show, which led her to landing the comic lead in Cole Parter's Broadway production of Panama Hattie. And her understudy was a chorus girl named June Allison. Now, during this production, uh, Hutton was earning $200 a week. And just prior to opening night, the production star, Ethel Merman, ordered Hutton's big musical number to be cut from the show. And I wondered why this was when I came across this, that her musical number was cut from the show by another star in the show. And apparently this happened a lot during that time period where a star could order someone else's number or scene to be cut because it was getting more laughs than their scenes. And if they were the bigger star, they had a little bit of leverage with the director or producer to pull that off. And I suppose that's what Ethel Merman was thinking when she had Betty Hutton's number cut from the whole production right before it went on stage. So she was upset, but continued her role after the show's producer, Buddy Sylvia, promised to hire her for a Paramount musical. And he did so in the movie The Fleet's Inn, which was released in 1942. So she was in a full-length musical at that point. And uh, she was not the star in that film, but she was earning $1,000 a week, which was a lot in those days, considering her background and her upbringing. That was probably the most she'd earned in her entire life at that point. Now, Betty made such a big impression with the other stars that were performing in that film and alongside them that she was signed to another film after that, which was named Star Spangled Rhythm, and that came out shortly after that. And this began to solidify her as the newest queen of comedy. And it was such that in 1942, the motion picture Herald named Betty Hutton its Star of Tomorrow. So she appeared in 19 films following that from 1942 to 1952. And some of those titles included Perils of Pauline, which was released in 1947, and Let's Dance in 1950, which she starred with Fred Astaire. And then there was Annie Get Your Gun in 1952, which was really her first big smash hit. And it was a musical, and she performed quite wonderfully in that. She won a Golden Globe for Best Actress for that film. And she was hired in that film to replace Judy Garland for the role of Annie Oakley. So apparently Judy Garland backed out on it with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. And she later talked about that film production in interviews, and she said the rest of the cast didn't really like her very much because they all wanted to work with Judy Garland, and so they made the whole experience for Betty Hutton quite difficult during the making of that film. But that was uh, one of the significant roles that she had, and that was the first really big hit that she had. Following that, she was in a movie in the same year, 1952, which was The Greatest Show on Earth. And that film was another film that received two Academy Award nominations, one for Best Picture and I think the other for Best Musical Score or something like that. Uh, she didn't win an Oscar in that film, 
In fact, she never won an Oscar. She did win the Golden Globe that one year. In The Greatest Show on Earth, she played a trapeze artist. And some of the other stars in that film were Charlton Heston and also Jimmy Stewart. And Emmett Kelly was in that movie as well, playing one of the clowns. And that was made with Paramount Pictures. And then the last film she ever did for Paramount Pictures was later that same year in 1952, and it was called Somebody Loves Me. And the problem with her career at that point was the increasing popularity of television was starting to take off, and the golden age of musicals was starting to fade away in the cinema world, and television was kind of taking over in the area of comedy and musicals and other things like that. And so the film industry was starting to really feel the crunch and losing a lot of ground and money to television. So after Somebody Loves Me in 1952, she made a TV movie called Satins and Spurs and another full-length movie in 1956 called Spring Reunion. And at that time, that was her biggest paycheck for a film in her career. She earned $100,000 for Spring Reunion plus uh, I think it was 15 or 25 percent of the gross. But this was the latter part of her film career. She did try to move into television and had some success from 1959 to 1960. She wrote her own show called The Betty Hutton Show and there was about 30 episodes that aired. She also starred in a TV series about The Greatest Show on Earth and showed up in one episode of that in 1964. She was in a television show called Burke's Law for a couple of episodes between 64 and 65. She was in one episode of Gunsmoke in 1965 and in one episode of Beretta in 1977. But basically, in 1959 through 1960, when she had the Buddy Hutton show, which was with CBS, and it ran for 30 episodes, and the show was canceled, she really had a struggle after that finding work in television and couldn't get back into the movie business. Her contributions for the motion picture industry were recognized with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in her later years. But she left Hollywood and had a lot of difficulty in life at that point in time. She had been married four times, was divorced four times, and also had a problem with alcohol and prescription drugs. And her life was kind of spinning out of control towards the end of her film career and her struggles in television. And she left Hollywood. She ended up going to the East Coast, living in Rhode Island. And I'll get into that in a minute. But first, I want to give you some segments of an interview that she gave in December of 1963. And it's uh, pieces of an interview that I found that really, it's her telling her story to a TV show host, asking her about some of the struggles that she had with her life. And it's really nice to hear it in her own voice and her, and her telling her own story. So I'm going to pause for a moment and let you listen to Betty Hutton in this 1963 interview before I continue. Got no mansion, got no yacht, still I'm happy with what I've got. I she was called the Blonde Blitz in Hollywood's golden age of movie musicals, among them Annie Get Your Gun. At her peak, Betty made 20 movies and $9 million. 
But when Hollywood was preempted by television in the mid-50s, her career came to an end. She tried TV in Las Vegas. It didn't work. Then came divorce, pills, alcohol, and a suicide attempt. <laughs> Thank you. God bless. Today, Betty Hutton is back on top and in the limelight. Not in Hollywood's terms, but on her own terms. After a rocky climb back to self-respect, Betty has settled in Newport, Rhode Island. Here she is the official greeter at the High Life Sports Center welcoming the fans. The people love her. That acceptance, plus the help of a local priest and conversion to Catholicism, have helped Betty carve a new life. Thank you very much. Betty, Hi. How are you? Good luck tonight. Thank you. Okay. Put your life back together again. Yes, I do. With and the help of many, many people, though. Father McGuire never lost faith in me, Pat. I, when I didn't think I could make it. And lots of the people didn't. He said she will. He had run across a book I had been writing since I was about nine years old. It was called Backstage You Can Have. And in there was the depth of me that I never was uh, really free to tell people the way I felt about God and about life. And when he read that, he said, Betty, you never show people this side of you. I said, I'm afraid to let anyone see any side of me except the real happy go lucky side, which is not all of it. You know, that was how I became famous. But trying to be that happy-go-lucky person so many years was very, very difficult, you know, very difficult. It's a fantasy world. And yes, did it is. you get caught up in the fantasy? Very definitely. And when I started to take pills to keep going, you know, my life was in a nightmare at that time because the marriages crashed and I didn't know how to handle everything. I wasn't prepared to handle the advent of the great thing of television, the picture business being really on its way out, you know. I didn't know where to turn. It's the only business I knew. And I was terribly frightened that I, I wasn't in anymore. I just wasn't in. And when you're not in in Hollywood, you don't have any friends. I literally don't have any friends out there. And people say to me, do you miss your friends in Hollywood? I have to honestly say, I don't have any. I never had any. You have friends while you're making a picture, while you're making it. But when they say no, and the contract's over, even the cops on the gate say hello, hi, Betty, a little differently. There's an edge to everything. I'll never forget that last day on the set. Everybody is just a little bit different towards you. And see, a lot of people can get cold about that. I broke down over it. I couldn't handle it. It hurt me so, you know. All these years later, are you bitter about it? Not a bit. No, no. If I took time to be bitter. Oh, no. I was. Those five years of getting well was all that. Bitterness, hatred, that no one understood. Well, how could they understand me when I didn't? You know, it was no one's fault, Pat. It was just I was in a world. I came from great poverty, and I became rich very fast. And I did not know how to handle it. And I didn't have close friends, and I didn't have Father McGuire to help me. But see, Father said that's where it was supposed to be. Now I can help people in trouble because I've been through it. And God tried me and tested me, and thank God to be in New England with these kind of strong people. Inside, are you different? Is there a different Betty Hutton? I think so. I feel different. I'm a whole new person. I am not frightened anymore. I have the normal nervousness before working at night, you know, but not that god-awful fear, what if they don't like me? You know, that's a living nightmare, to live through that all those years, that curtain going up and wondering what's going to happen, and oh my god, bring the curtain down fast if something goes wrong, you know. It's awfully hectic. Anyone who doesn't think that show people earn their, uh, their living are crazy. 
I mean, what you do, you know it's horrendous, the hours, the preparing, all your, everybody's got to be in a great mood. If one person goofs, it's over. The people out front are the first to know you're just not making it. They never know why. They just know something's gone wrong, you know? This, this thing that you lived with all those years, will they like me? Will they like me? Yes. Why did you want them to like you? Because I was never loved as a child. You see, I was a bastard child. And that's a very lonely situation to be in. And I was, my mother was very ill from the time I was a little girl, and I had to bring her up. I never had a home. So from the time my mother was a bootlegger, so from the time I was three, I was singing and dancing and taking care of my mother. Nobody took care of us. I, they were always hauling me before a judge, going to take me away from my mother, and I'd fight, you know, to stay with her. And that was my life. So what did I have to find? I had to find mass acceptance. It wasn't just acceptance, mass acceptance. That's what performers demand and need, because they, somewhere in their background, they didn't get it. That's why you are a performer. You need to hear this so loud. Applause, applause. Yeah, and then it's over. And then what? You know, if you don't have God, which I didn't, where do you turn? So every night was empty for me when it was over. I said, my mother, what's wrong? Why am I so miserable when that curtain comes down? And my mother didn't know. I didn't know. Marriage would fix it. Children, nothing fixed it. I think the hardest thing is that you cannot be, uh, you can't have a family. You should never be married and have a family in that mad town. It doesn't work. My children suffered. They were jealous of me. And uh, the marriage is, it's very difficult to be married to someone who is a superstar. You know, it's really hard for the kids. They're not like the other kids. And no matter how hard you try and make that work, and most mothers, you know, that they don't work. Their, their kids just don't come out right. How many marriages so, did you have? Four. Four? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Each one worse than the one before because I didn't know what I was doing. But I was trying, you know. But I, that's a world I really don't understand. So I'm never going to try that again. Getting you would but get I, married oh, again. But I adore my children. I don't see my children. We've had an estrangement for a long time. My older girls are married. I have six grandchildren whom I've never seen. And that breaks my heart. I'd love to see them, you know, maybe someday. During your career, you earned about $9 million. Where did it go? It went to people, you know, bankrupt marriages and, and uh, in trying to buy happiness. And I, you can't do it. You know, I would do anything. If I could have bought it, I would have. It was the only way I knew how. You know, if somebody wanted a Cadillac or a fur coat, fine, if they'd love me and be kind to me, you know. But it doesn't work out, Pat. What was your last movie? Um, let's see, The Greatest Show. Somebody Loves Me was the last one that I did, but the one you remember, The Greatest Show on Earth. Yeah. And Annie yeah. were the last two big ones. Yeah. yeah, and then Somebody Loves Me. Right. And and somewhere around there, the, the, it was the fellow you were married to wanted to direct your next movies. Yeah. And uh, you, you quit over that. You, yeah. you walked out kind of on Hollywood right. at that point. Right. Was that the reason you walked out, or did you have an inkling, this isn't for me anymore? No, it just things weren't going. The mar that was a problem, too. Is each husband seemed to want something that I couldn't deliver, like he wanted to be a director. And I was trying to make him one, but see, that then hurt my work, because that's very bad to walk in and say, I want my husband to direct, or I want my husband to coach, or what the heck ever. But in, now you're pressured in the marriage. He's mad unless you help him, and that's happened. In my last marriage to Pete Condola, he wanted to conduct on the stage for me. 
this is a bad number. You know, not, he's not great. It just doesn't work. I have to be alone when I'm working. There's no one can share that particular spotlight with me. I don't I mean you can't have other people. I'm just saying no, in I your family, you That's just right. can't have someone else in that that riding your way. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. And do you regret going to bat for him now? Do you think if you had oh, to? No, it wasn't. It was a very bad idea then, and I told him so. It doesn't work. It didn't work for our marriage, and the marriage was destroyed. What he didn't like was that I, when he married me, I was a star, and within a couple of years, I wasn't, and he didn't like that. And, you know, so that's okay. It's groovy. They marry you because you're a star, and then I guess when you lose that image, you, you aren't the thing that they fell in love with. Don't you see? They didn't fall in love with me, the me you're talking to. That's right. They fell and in love with the, the eight and a half right, by 11 glossy photo. Right, right. And they can't be faulted for that because they do see all this. And all of a sudden, I, I really fully realized that I don't think I knew who the hell I was anymore. It really gets confusing. The parts you play and, and all the attention you get. And I made 100000 a week in Vegas. and. You know, it's, it was phenomenal kind of money. It blows your mind what goes on. And then this little person that shows up was standing there saying, Oh, my God, where did everybody go every night? Terrified inside of me. It's every night that I was the big star. I was just that scared inside. So following this interview, she somewhat disappeared for a number of years, and she was found by a New York newspaper somewhere in the early 1970s, and she was working in a soup kitchen and also working in a rectory as a house cleaner. And as you heard in the interview, she had found Catholicism and it had helped her change her life. And she'd been trying to work with the priest and they were her mentors at that point and helping her get through her addiction and helping her get her life in order. So it sounds like the Catholic priests gave her some structure during a difficult time in her life with addictions and alcohol and prescription drugs. And so she ended up giving out her first interviews in probably five years at that point, or maybe even a little bit longer, because 1963, that may have been her last interview before she showed up again in the 70s. And she had children from her prior marriages. She had four daughters that she was estranged from later in life. And she mentions that in the interview that I just shared, which is kind of sad because I also found out that when she passed away in 2007, that none of her daughters showed up for her funeral, which is really sad. But who was she really in the world of cinema? She had this bubbly personality. She was... Uh, referred to by Bob Hope, who starred alongside her in the motion picture Let's Face It that was released in 1943. And Bob Hope referred to her as a vitamin pill with legs. So he had a bit of a fondness for her energy on set. She was also referred to quite often as the blonde bombshell actress-singer of the 1940s. But to get a taste of her style, it's best to hear her performing in person. So here is an outtake from Annie Get Your Gun, which came out in 1950. Now tell me why. 
like a crystal, yes, a shine like the morning sun. But I lose all my luster when with a bronco buster. Oh, you can't get a man with a gun. So Betty had some interesting quotes that she said through the years and talking about her career and her life. Uh, One of the quotes that I found most humorous was, I was a commodity like a hot dog. It was like hot dogs and Betty Hutton. That was how she described her career. She also said that the cast of Annie Get Your Gun was just awful to her. They wanted Judy Garland. And she considered that that film was the end of her climb to success, even though two years later she did make The Greatest Show on Earth in 1952. But I want to talk about one of her early films because she was quoted as saying this about her career. I am not a great singer and I'm not a great dancer, but I am a great actress and nobody ever let me act except Preston Sturgis. He believed in me. Preston Sturgis was the director and also the writer of a movie called The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, which came out in 1944. And it was somewhat of a screwball comedy film written by Preston Sturgis, and he selected Betty Hutton for the role. Now, the film was really somewhat risque for its day in 1944 because it features a girl that attended a wild farewell party for a group of soldiers and got married and wakes up after a drunken night and he's gone she doesn't remember his name and she's pregnant and it took a couple years for the film to get through production and released and it had trouble with the war department because they didn't want the soldiers featured that way to the public as a form of bad propaganda. And so the candid representation of this topic was a bit risque for the time period. And they had to go through a lot of hoops to get that film to hit the big screen in the day of heavy censorship. This was 1944. So it was a bit of a wild um, situation with that film. But interestingly enough, it did really well at the box office. And in 2001, the film was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. And it was the only film that Betty Hutton was ever in that was selected for the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress. And then in 2006, it was voted by Premier as one of the 50 greatest comedies of all time. And in 2000, that was listed as number 54 on the top 100 years and 100 laughs list by the American Film Institute that year. And the script was so highly regarded that in 1958, a film, Rockabye Baby, starring Jerry Lewis, was loosely based on The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. And Sturgis received a credit in that film, but he didn't participate in the project. And of course, Betty Hutton was not in that film. So Betty Hutton, often called the blonde bombshell or the blonde blitz, part of the golden age of musicals in Hollywood, 
She had a fairly successful career, even though she had a difficult time growing up as a child with a mom struggling. And you got to imagine that must have been really challenging for her mother during that time because there was not a lot of jobs available to women back in those days. So she's raising two daughters on her own. I mean, credit to her. Uh, She ended up having two daughters that went on to successful careers for the most part. So Betty Hutton passed away March 11, 2007 in Palm Springs, California of colon cancer. And besides the amount of songs that she sung in the different musicals, some of them still have found their way in the pop culture. A couple of her individual tracks have found their way into video games as of 2015. So there's a still a legacy of Betty Hutton out there. Um, there's a lot of her tracks that you can still listen to or find on Amazon if you go hunting for them or just listen to some of the musicals that she was part of. Uh, Quite a number of them. Very entertaining for the day if you like classic films. And at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, I just completed a project that I've been working on for almost eight months now uh, for the History Education Center and did the fundraising for that last year from August to October, spent the last several months since October up until recently um, putting that room together with a pictorial history of Battle Creek. And in the large mural of photographs in the room there, uh, Battle Creek's history timeline, we have a big portrait of Betty Hutton. And it's probably the second biggest portrait on that wall. And it's a a photo that... uh, I don't know what film it came from. I'll have to kind of look into that and see if that was a a photo from a very specific film or if it was just a publicity photo that she took along the way. There's some other great photos. She toured with the USO during World War II and after World War II. And she, I think she toured with probably Bob Hope's tour as well uh, because she knew Bob Hope from 1943. There's some photographs of her uh, at some of the USO performances That's available in the National Archives. And she just seems like she was a very fascinating woman, and she was born right here in Michigan. As part of my involvement in volunteering time with the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, I am moving into a direction where I'm going to be doing a lot of their programming for their entertainment in the New History Education Center over the next year or two, and I will be putting together programs and things. And I think we're trying to make people more aware of the musicians and entertainers that came out of Battle Creek. Betty Hutton is arguably the biggest movie star, I believe, that um, I found in my research that came out of Battle Creek. But there's a lot of other music artists. We would like to put on events featuring all of those people, because we have, you know, of course, Del Shannon. I've talked about him on this podcast before. We have Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Tremendous history with Battle Creek. Um, There was Jackie and Johnny that came through Battle Creek and spent some of their early career here. There's Wade Flemons, who went to Battle Creek High School and had a number 16 on the R&B charts with his song, Here I Stand, and he had a long musical career. He spent a few years playing with Earth, Wind, and Fire. He came out of Battle Creek. So for the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, how I would put something together for Betty Hutton would be 
the logical thing would be to put together a Betty Hutton Film Festival. So I'm kind of working on that project this summer to put some kind of a film festival together for Betty Hutton this summer. So I hope to have some kind of an announcement on that. Maybe it will be in July and August is my general plan right now. But that would be a lot of fun to have people come in maybe one day a week and watch a Betty Hutton film in the History Education Center. And before we launch the film, we talk a little bit about her and her life and what we could find about the individual films and things that she mentioned about it and the people that talked about her um, and her performance in the film during that time period. It would be very fascinating. So certainly would love to do some of the big hits that I talked about today the Miracle at Morgan's Creek would be one I'd like to put in that film festival. And, of course, The Greatest Show on Earth and Annie Get Your Gun. And there's a couple of other ones that we could probably show that would be a lot of fun and entertaining. She had the bit of the musical and the comedy uh, career, so some of those are pretty fun films to watch and be entertaining. And uh, I think that a lot of people would enjoy that. There's been some really good positive feedback from folks when I mentioned it online. So we'll see how that develops and I'll keep you guys posted out there. But that's going to conclude today's journey looking at the life of Betty Hutton. I hope you enjoyed some of the soundtracks that I found of her. And those sound recordings are used under the fair use laws concerning the fair use principles of the section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. And Betty Hutton has such a fascinating history, and I certainly would love to find somebody that maybe knew her personally and bring them on as a guest sometime in the future. So if I'm ever so lucky to have that and come across someone out there in the audience or maybe somebody comes across this episode, reach out to me because I'd love to do an interview with somebody who knew Betty Hutton and talk a little bit more about her fascinating career as a actress and a singer and performer on Broadway. And I think maybe tonight I'll break out some Betty Hutton films and kick back and do my own little uh, Betty Hutton film fest. Maybe you guys are thinking about that tonight too. I found that there are several available on Amazon and YouTube, so grab the popcorn. But that's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed today's talk about Betty Hutton and her fascinating career in the world of entertainment and the fact that she came from Southwest Michigan here. Please take a minute to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you would like to reach out to me and tell me your thoughts about it, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating topics and stories from Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. Oh, and listen up. Here's Betty singing now. He's a demon. He's a devil. Sometimes I make up my mind that I'll stop being so blind and tell him off real bad. But then it turns on those charms and there I am in his arms and I forget why I'm mad. I want to tell him drop dead, but I keep loving him instead. My mama must have dropped me on my head. He's a demon. He's a devil. Ow!